you know, we're well beyond the, oh, you have an app dev team and they build something and then, you know, send it to a testing team. Um, and, and then they send it to a team to operate and manage the application. I mean, th- those days, um, no, wait, I, I was going to say those days are gone. Plenty of organizations are still doing plenty of that, but they, but they probably should be gone, right? Welcome to the Masters of Data podcast, the podcast that brings the human to data. And I'm your host, Ben Newton. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Masters of Data podcast. We're now a couple episodes into our observability series, and I'm uh, very honored with, to have our guest today. Uh, he's James Governor. He's the co-founder of Redmonk. And uh, welcome to the show, James. Good to have you here. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Ben. Well, absolutely. And I, I think uh, your your name has definitely been associated with this topic recently. So I'm really excited to kind of dig in and hear more about you and your thoughts. But, you know, in particular, like we always do, we love to start off and find more about you as a person and kind of where, where you come from. So tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, how did you end up where you're at, you know, in particular, you know, starting Red Monk and, and what you guys focus on? And I'd love to have you go through that a little bit. To be honest, the story now at Red Monk is so long that, uh, you know, I almost don't think there was anything before Red Monk. Um, we've, we've been at this for a while. <laughs> um, you know, my, my background um, before starting the firm uh, with Stephen O'Grady, uh, I, I had basically been a tech journalist, actually. I was always interested in going deeper. I always wanted to go deeper. I always wanted to get further into the tech to better understand what was going on. And, you know, as a journalist, you're not necessarily, you don't always have the time um, to do that anymore. You're under so many time pressures. And I was interested in doing something that was more research-based. And this, this you know, industry analyst space looked interesting to me. And so basically pursued that. And, you know, pretty quickly, you know, we, we Stephen had joined me at, at another firm and, you know, we were working together and, you know, thinking what worked well. And, and maybe what didn't work so well. And it was pretty clear to us that, that there was room for a new kind of research firm with a slightly different focus. You know, we, would, we were kind of growing up in that, that, that sort of era of open source, just a different way of working and building communities and communicating with people and learning from them. And so we sort of packaged all that, that up together um, in this company, Redmonk. And, you know, the thing for us is, is that there are a lot of research companies that, that you know, look at the world through the lens of, of purchasing. And I think that's fine. But for us, we're a little bit more forward-looking and we really focus on developers. We want to understand developers, what makes them tick, developer communities. And, and really, that's how we build our models and, and our understanding of what the world is and indeed what it should be. I mean, I think we've always had some pretty strong opinions on some things. And we brought that to the table. So I think that's that's Redmonk. I mean, we're the developer focused industry analyst company. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I, 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 um, I first kind of came came in contact with the you know, to some degree with the way you guys think about the world with um, the the book, the New Kingmakers. And you know, I've I think I've reread that book multiple times. But you know, that kind of concept of um, uh, you know, de- developers like the changing power of developers within corporations, and it seemed like you know, with with what you guys are doing, it was you know, is really kind of tied to that that the, the purchasing power and who makes the decision where the budgets are going has really been changing in the cloud era. Is that 
Is that how you would um, you phrase it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. You know, we used to be in an industry in which you required permission to do anything. So, um, you know, we're, we're moving to increasing, you know, self-surface. And I know that people sort of, you know, if, they, if they've grown up with AWS, I guess, you know, AWS natives, you know, don't, don't, don't remember what it, it used to be like. Um, but yeah, you know, um, having to ask for a different team in the organization, you know, I mean, it used to be that, you know, we didn't, we didn't have open source software. So, you know, you needed budget to buy uh, database licenses. It, it was all very top down, command and control, permission based purchasing sort of activities. But, you know, with the cloud, um, with, with open source, uh, with social coding, you look at the incredible impact um, that sort of GitHub has made. The, that need to ask for permission has, has kind of gone away, and that's had a dramatic effect on IT organizations. Uh, it, it's just been very interesting to us, you know, uh, you know, Fortune 500 companies, financial services companies, government organizations uh, talking about the need to better serve uh, software developers. And, and, you know, I mean, I think that was not the case when we started out, um, we were kind of the crazy people. You know, I, I think one of the, the phrases we tend to use is that the CIO is the last to know. Um, and that's actually as it should be. You know, high-performing teams, um, ideally choosing their own tools within constraints, um, getting stuff done. Um, and, and, you know, that's what we've seen from successful organizations. So, yeah, huge changes in, in just how technology is, is chosen and, you know, used in, in anger, I guess. So, so James kind of taking a different tack on it. I mean, we're talking a little bit about the, the culture, the different buying patterns, adoption patterns, which is, which is super interesting. But, you know, the, you know, particularly when we're talking about this term observability, which we're kind of getting to, it also seems to be about the way that people, you know, really developers, software developers build and support applications. So maybe talk a little bit about how that changed, not just how they adopt technology, but how they're building and thinking about these high scale applications. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it, it definitely does. You know, and I think that's sort of foundational if we ask ourselves, you know, what we mean about by observability and, and what, are, what are we talking about? You know, I, I think there is a, a definition, you know, which says, you know, oh, it's three pillars. You know, we're going to look at your logs. Uh, we're going to look at your metrics, your traces. Um, we're going to mash them all up in one database. And then we're going to have, you know, observability nirvana. You know, I think that's that's possibly uh, a little bit simplistic, but you know, from a marketing perspective, you would certainly expect that vendors of logging, um, APM, uh, or tracing tools might might like that um, story. But but the truth is, yeah, I, I think that that observability. One of the reasons it's interesting. One of the reasons we're talking about it is that we are thinking about uh, different ways of working. And, you know, different ways that teams are constituted. And, and certainly, you know, we've moved, you know, we're well beyond the, oh, you have an app dev team and they build something and then, you know, send it to a testing team. Um, and, and then they send it to a team to operate and manage the application. I mean, th- those days, um, no, wait, I, I was going to say those days are gone. Plenty of organizations <laughs> are still doing plenty of that. They should be gone, maybe. But they, but they probably should be gone, right? But, but yes, modern software development, you know, I think there, there is uh, much more of a sense of um, uh, you know, manageability by the team. Now, clearly, any of this should have, should have been done historically. 
but but when I'm thinking about observ- observability, I, I I'd like to think of observability as sort of a you know part of a, a key part of observability is a love letter to the future, a love letter to your future self, um, and and a love letter to your friends and those uh, that may need to support the application after you. So you know, really thinking about you know the tags, really thinking about the telemetry, and really thinking about you know think about a log you know, in an error message, you know, some error messages, you read them and you're not going to have a clue what that means, but a well-written error message is just such gold. And so I think that observability, one of the, the, the things that, that I see is teams thinking about, you know, look, we know, um, we know that systems fall over, that's going to happen. You know, let us, let us be able to deal with as many of the sort of, you know, known uh, knowns and so on, um, so that when we do have an unknown unknown, we're able to troubleshoot that. So, uh, you know, I really do think that observability is, is about, it is about troubleshooting. Um, it's not about, you know, an operator sitting back and, and just looking at a dashboard. And, and so from that perspective, yeah, coming at this from the perspective of what can we do during the process of developing an application so that uh, in, in, in production, we feel more comfortable, that's super important. And I think even that, just even what is the question about um, production? I mean, we live in a world of, of dark launches. Um, you know, I talk a lot about progressive delivery, which is, is, is sort of my term for, you know, thinking about that set of disciplines, you know, A-B testing, blue-green deployments, canary deployments, and so on that, you know, once you are successfully moving forward with, with a good testing and CICD strategy, what are some of the, the other things that you might do? You know, let's think about rolling out the application to a particular subset of users before it's rolled out more broadly. Maybe we'll roll it out to our internal users first. Maybe we'll roll it out, you know, when, when, when we're developing in the morning in, in San Francisco, uh, maybe we should, you know, put it into production in Tokyo when, when no one's actually using the system so that we can see it in production, see how it works, learn from that, and then uh, release the, the service or application more broadly. So that sort of canarying notion, I think observability really ties into that. So, so you know, I think for me, it is about a different way of thinking about applications. One, as I say, that love, love letter to the future. Um, but, but the other thing because of the world we're living in, where we are, in effect, testing and production, um, that future may be in five minutes or 10 minutes or, or tomorrow, right? So I think there are some different dimensions of time, frankly, in, in observability that are also worth, you know, really giving consideration. You know, historically, you know, logs, logging, for example, was a, a, a post-facto um, activity, so, you know, it's about working out what happened after the fact. And some of it might be about, you know, compliance. Oh, we had to save the logs so that we, we could look at this stuff after the fact. Um, but, but, you know, really, I think everything needs to be much more real time um, because that's, that's frankly the world that we're, we're living in. We're making, you know, if we're a modern software organization, we're doing multiple production deploys a day. Um, and yeah, it's a different way of thinking. And that's why I think that articulation I mean, I guess it's overused. Um, I guess everything, everything in modern tech is actually a culture change, right? And, and observability is, is yet another culture change. 
Yeah, no, abs- no, absolutely. And it won, and that's to some degree, that's what makes it, uh, makes it more difficult, right? Cause if it was just, uh, you know, inserting a technology here or, you know, something like that, it'd be a lot easier to implement, but because you're talking about people having to learn new skills and learn new ways to talk to each other and, and work with each other, it almost feels generational in some ways in, in the same way that kind of DevOps early on was where, um, we're, we're, we're seeing kind of a cultural shift from that kind of, um, command and control, you know, type of perspective to like these team based, you know, very like, you know, uh, multifunctional, cross functional teams, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, these, you know, you're not having like these strict roles that never change people, you know, doing a lot of different things. Is that, is that kind of ring true to you? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think I think that's fair. I mean, I've got enough gray in my beard now that I'm a little bit cautious <laughs> about terms like generational. Right. But, but from a from an IT management perspective, yes, there is a a new generation of technology uh, building and management. Um, although there might be multiple generations of folks involved in in driving that change. So so yeah, I, I do think that is. That's reasonable, and that's you know one of the challenges for enterprise organizations, for organizations. In, I mean, it's one of the challenges for you know, frankly, a lot of, of of SaaS companies too, or anyone building software. How do you get everybody doing this? You know, is it just one team that's living in the future and everyone else is not? You know, I think that's one of you know, you know, we have all the jokes about the hardest problem in computer science. You know, to my mind, one of the hardest problems in computer science is just getting everyone else to, to do the new stuff and and learn those practices and and change. So yeah, I, it, there's a generational shift going on for sure. But I remember I remember sitting down um with one of the developers when I was a product manager and I remember two things that always stuck with me and I've used this story before is like one the concept of him not being on call was just very strange to him. He was just, he was just, it was very natural to him because that's the environment he'd grown up in. Like he went straight from school into a development team that was on call. And then the second thing was, is what he was doing would have been classified as database administration back when, you know, I was first started out, but he would not have done it. Like he did not think of himself as like a one trick pony, like, mm-hmm. you know, DBA. He was like, well, this is what I'm doing today. I'm going to do something different tomorrow. And he did. And so I, that, that's always struck with me, like the fluidity of the way he thought about his you know, job, which is much more the way a software engineer would think about it. But then also the fact that supporting his own code, not doing that just seems strange to him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, that gets to that, that, that notion of a generational shift that, that you're talking about. And, and it is, we, we just live in, you know, an era where no developers, you know, are taking more responsibility for uh, the management of the applications and services that they build. And as you say, that on-call notion, it is about responsibility. That goes back to the love letter because, you know, if you are on-call, you, you definitely want to make your life as easy as possible at that point. But from an observability perspective, that's definitely, that, that's definitely related. Well, so maybe we, we take a bit of a, a turn here. So, I mean, it's, you know, I, the way I've always thought about it, a lot of this is being driven by the changes in the way we develop software, by cloud making it you know, um, it easier to adopt new technologies, try new technologies, the rise of the open source movement. We've we talked through a lot of that. So I, I think James in particular, you and, and Redmonk have a, you know, pretty, um, 
good vantage point to really understand what's going on. I mean, what what do you what do you see changing right now? Where do you see things going? Like, what are the I don't know what are the kind of trends and rivers of change that you're watching? Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think that that some of it is what we're talking about now. Um, observability, if it's a different way of working and thinking and composing an organization, then that is stuff that Red Monk is interested in. Um, you know, I think from our perspective, you know, we've been on this journey to, you know, everything as code, and that just continues to provide uh, more and more value as a framework for for getting things done. You know, definitely, you know, through configuration as code and, you know, automating everything now is is something that, that is super interesting. There's a, a framing which is termed GitOps, which I think is really interesting at the moment where, you know, you start thinking about all of the, the uh, frankly, the automation you do um, should be done um, through Git. So Git becomes the sort of the single source of the truth. You know, IT environments are complicated enough um, already without having developers or operators or whoever, you know, the role is. Uh, running around and SSHing into servers and spinning up instances of DMs or, or containers or whatever without you knowing what's happening. There's sort of get off yeah. this notion where you do a pull request to kick off your automation. Um, that gets managed for you declaratively in sort of that desired state kind of way. I mean, I've been around long enough that I've heard, you know, desired state is a term a lot, but I think it does make a fair bit of sense in this sort of container world at least. So I think that's that's something that I'm you know I'm interested in like the intersection I guess of progressive delivery, GitOps, and observability. Um, but then you know out of left field you also have to think about all of that stuff in the context of kind of serverless and what's going on there. Um, I'm not a big believer in no ops because I think everyone has to take responsibility for building the systems, uh, for managing the systems they build. But clearly, for a lot of developers, they're finding serverless um, and certainly the Lambda model is, as an extremely, you know, for them, high productive way of establishing minimum viable products, um, rolling out new services. And so I think, you know, that those, well, frankly, I guess those sorts of, I guess, mega trends are um, plenty to be, to be getting on with. I mean, I, I came up with a, or I came across, sorry, an interesting term. Um, recently, I was really thinking about what is what is sort of, you know, everyone's using cloud. We've had this idea yeah. of multi-cloud for a while. I think some of it was as a promise of, oh, it's about building an app and having portability. But I'm much more interested in the sort of the choose the best service for the job view of the world. So, like, I, I think that, you know, organizations could be an Amazon shop wall to wall and still be, you know, heavy, heavy users of, of GitHub and GitHub Actions. Um, is, that, is that multi-cloud? I, I, I think it kind of is. You know, people are obviously going to be using Stripe and Authero and Algolia to get specific jobs done. And so I'm, I'm, uh, the, the term there is, is, is that they're using is, I think, smokestack. So it's like um, serviceful, which is the serverless word for those sorts of services, mashable, um, open, and, and now I'm going to hopefully forget what the, 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 the K is. Uh, oh, composable. So it's, of course, coming out of the Kubernetes world, anything C actually starts with a K. So that's this, this, this idea that 
yeah, services that run, you know, applications that are composed of services that are running in different places. This composite world that raises all sorts of interesting um, issues and challenges for observability. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, and you, you actually bring to mind one thing that um, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on, because, you know, even calling it like generational and stuff like that makes things seem like they're like these sudden, um, you know, shifts in time where it's like it was one thing and it's another. And that's not the way, you know, reality works. It's always kind of like these very blended, um, you know, uh, you know, gradual changes in, in a lot of ways. I mean, sometimes there's, there's, there's big point changes, but a lot of times it's just very gradual. And one thing that has struck me is that when I, when I started out, there was a people that developed the code, they tested on their laptops, maybe they tested in a little environment and then they handed off the ops and ops had to, you know, make the best they could of it. And, you know, um, and you saw now where it, there was more of a, like a supporting your code through production and stuff like that. But what's, what's interesting to me, particularly when you talk about serverless it seems like in some sense as the application end-to-end application development process, meaning like from writing code, like birth to death, like your code goes out there, you're supporting it. There, there's these new stratas that are emerging because in some sense, um, when I hear people talk about site reliability engineering or platform engineering, you know, even the way that QE, you know, quality assurance at like QA has shifted into QE and like a lot of these changes, it seems like, you still have to solve the same problems. Like you just said, it's like, there's no such thing as no ops. You still have to support your applications. You still have to do all these things, but instead of it being these kind of, I almost think in like visually like vertical silos, they're becoming almost like horizontal layers. It's like, okay, well we, we are the team that is going to think about tooling or we're the team that's going to think about the, the platform we're running on. We, you know, is are you, is that actually resonate with what you're seeing or what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that the, the, in order that the entire organization can um, make this change, you know, I think that at any given point, um, there are pendulums involved and stuff swings one way and then swings the other. Um, in order that entire organizations can rethink what they're doing and find, you know, and be able to work in new ways, you know, we've had this period of, of, intense sort of innovation um, in some technology stacks. And, and, and certainly if we look at um, what happened with, with Kubernetes, um, there's a lot of complexity there. Um, you know, enough complexity that I jokingly talk about the new role in the, in the IT shop as the chief Kubernetes officer. That, you know, that's a joke. But of course, you know, how do we make people productive? You know, we have what we've seen in 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 some of the organizations, um, you know, frankly, that have been adopting, you know, you sign a deal, you know, with with Red Hat or whatever, but then you don't actually know how to use, you know, OpenShift, and and you end up with empty clusters. So, is everybody really going to run around like doing Helm charts, using YAML to describe everything, the full stack sort of world? I think makes it very, very hard to cross the chasm. And so definitely there's some like, you know, there absolutely are platform teams. And, you know, we're going to see, you know, within the enterprise, um, you know, I'm I'm sure we'll see, you know, Tonzu um, from VMware, we'll see OpenShift, you know, then they'll be using, uh, you know, then they'll be coordinating something around whether it's EKS or AKS or whatever, there will be, I think, a return to some specialization. 
So it's one thing to say, oh, fluidity and everything else, but platforms, you know, there does tend to be a bit of specialization there in order to get everybody able to do this thing. Specialization, certification, um, you know, people that, that, I mean, on-call is one thing, but a lot of people, um, you know, uh, they like to just do their job. And, you know, we need to find ways to make their skills relevant. So, yeah, I do think that, you know, that that, 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 that will happen. I, I think the one, you know, crucial part there and what we're seeing in, in teams is that, you know, having a platform team doesn't mean that platform team is the only people that do ops. The platform team will curate services. The platform team will enrich services. The platform team will think about making developers more productive. Um, but they are not taking response, you know, the platform team and the app dev team both do DevOps. Both think about, you know, the platform is, is about managing the platform. The app people have to think about managing that application. So there, there will be some specialization. Um, but, but, you know, I think as those layers you mentioned settle down a bit, I, I do think there's room for some, some horizontal specialisms. You know, it's just too hard to expect everyone to know everything. If you're, you know, Uber or Netflix or whoever, and you're, you know, Stripe, you're paying whatever, like north of 250 for an engineer, um, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's not, (laughs) you know, that's not going to fly in in Peoria. That's not going to fly in Berlin. That's not going to fly in Tokyo. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that we need a bit of specialization just so that everyone else can start take advantage of some of the new technologies and approaches. I don't, I just don't think that everybody can be, and it's interesting, you know, that word full stack. Some people think that's an insult. Some people think that's an aspiration. I just think that, that, that frankly, it's, it's just too hard to expect everybody to know everything. Right. No, no, exactly. And I mean, may, maybe in some sense, it's like, I like the way you, you, you put it is like, you know, everybody has a shared responsibility for, you know, operations, whatever stack it is that you've just, you know, decided to, to work on you, it is a shared responsibility, but also the commonality maybe is that it's not just about people, you know, twiddling widgets and, and, and supporting stuff they don't understand. It's like, there, there's a sense of, yeah, I may specialize in this platform bit or I may, but you know, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an actual software engineer. Like I'm going to write code. I'm going to support this. There's a, I don't know if it, it feels, it feels like you're solving the same problems, but you're solving them in a different way that requires more that kind of, you know, everything is a code approach. You know, it's, it's, it's. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I think that is fair. So, you know, and again, there is definitely some gen shift there. Um, you know, I talk about, you know, some people just want to, you know, do their jobs for a living, but people are going to have to learn some new skills if they want to be relevant as these stacks are increasingly used by the companies they work for. So, you know, that one hopes um, that people are willing to, um, learn, um, and more pertinently, I guess, one hopes that the organizations they work for are ready to invest in them learning new skills, being increasingly relevant, um, you know, because, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a little bit fair, unfair, I think, to expect everybody to be um, learning on, on their own time and their own dime. Um, you know, so I, I think the organizational training is, is super important. Yeah. Yeah. When it, it, you know, it comes right back to where we, we started at the end of the day, it's, uh, 
it's 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 culture and people like are you willing to support your people that have a learning culture are you willing you have a collaborative culture are you you know, it's it's not just like a generational thing. It's it's about our, you know, right. Learning. But you'll have organizations that say they have a learning culture, and then you ask them what what's you know <laughs> what, what what's the tra- what's the training budget um, for for each um, what training budget? each employee, <laughs> and they'll be like, oh uh, yeah, um, about that. Well, what we mean by that um, is you're allowed to learn on your own time. That's what we mean. <laughs> Yeah, there's a brilliant framework. I think it's ABN Amro. Um, they do something. They have a, a 70 20 10. Um, 70, 70% of your time, um, should be spent on, um, on, on writing business logic. Um, 20% of your time should be on, um, I, I, they call it IT for IT, mm-hmm. which is basically hacking automation to improve some, um, IT processes that, that touch, uh, the work you do. And then 10% of your time, uh, should be spent on training and, um, there is budget um, that every, uh, er, you know, every developer, um, or operator has in order to undergo that training. And I thought that was quite, quite an interesting framework and way of looking at it. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. It's, 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 it's all about this being more uh, purposeful about the investment. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just difficult. Yeah, exactly. Being purposeful and investing in people. I mean, yeah, any organization that doesn't support um, their employees and wanting to um, learn more about technology, that is, that is extremely short-sighted. And I would say the strongest piece of advice I would give on this podcast is don't do that. Well, um, James, as always, it's always a, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I, I think you have a you know, great perspective and I, I, I really, I think we covered a lot of, um, covered a lot of uh, landscape here. So I, I appreciate your time and thank you for coming on the podcast. Awesome, Ben. That was super fun. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. And thanks, everybody, as always, for listening. And uh, find us and and rate us on uh, iTunes or your favorite podcast app so other people can find us. And uh, as always, thanks for listening and see you next time. Masters of Data is brought to you by Sumo Logic. Sumo Logic is a cloud-native machine data analytics platform delivering real-time continuous intelligence as a service to build, run, and secure modern applications. Sumo Logic empowers the people who power modern business. For more information, go to sumologic.com. For more on Masters of Data, go to mastersofdata.com and subscribe. And spread the word by rating us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.